Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? It's an exciting time of the year for UFC 250 tomorrow night. And without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. We have the best place for you to go. My bookie, for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, Try a parlay, for instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week. Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book. And if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, Get paid. What's up, everybody? Today's Wednesday, June 10th, 2020, and on today's episode of the podcast, we have what was arguably one of my favorite interviews on this podcast today, in all seriousness. I really enjoyed chatting with the radio play-by-play voice of the Baltimore Orioles, Jeff Arnold. Jeff went in depth in a lot of ways when it came to his experiences as a young broadcaster through college and in the minor leagues. And for those that listen to the show consistently, you know, my big, my biggest aspiration is to be a guy like in, in Jeff's shoes as a play-by-play voice for a Major League Baseball organization. So I want to personally thank Jeff once again for coming on the show to chat with me about broadcasting. Again, one of my favorite interviews to date here on episode 204 of the podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on the Twitter at Belly Up Sports, and if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, head on over to MechaNutritionStore.com right now by using the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off your next order. Remember, swole's the goal, size of the prize. Jeff Arnold on the podcast right now. story from what I've heard is that uh, when you were in college you kind of decided that you wanted to get into broadcast like what was your like initial story when you uh, decided like maybe like this is like this is what I want to do well like when did you get that itch and what did you like originally want to do when I got to Dickinson College in this would have been 2006 I think I came in figuring that I might try and go the legal track Dickinson has a track record of producing a lot of lawyers and a lot of congressmen and judges and and things like that. And that was what I was pretty good at in high school. I was good at social studies, maybe some other writing kind of things like that. So I I majored in political science, but broadcasting was never on the radar for me. In, In high school, we had a television production studio and kids did different things with that, but I never got into it. I'm not really sure why, but... When I got to school, I was looking for some activities to be involved in because I'm brand new, just like everyone else, and we're all trying to meet people. And there was an opportunity to work at the radio station, WDCV, and I was told about it by a friend of mine, and she was one of the – I think she was she was the only um, female who was doing sports broadcasting, and she brought it up, and I had no idea that they had sports broadcasting. And she introduced me to the person that was the assistant sports director, who now is one of my best friends, who I actually recently talked to. Wow. And she 
she told me, hey, talk to Zach, and, and so Zach and I met, and we had a good rapport, he invited me to a meeting, and a couple years, a couple a weeks later, I was doing my first ever broadcast, it was at Hamden City College, again, Dickinson and Hamden City College, it was a middle-of-the-year non-conference football game, which was a little strange, I don't think we ever had another one after that, but it was my first entree into doing football, into doing broadcasting, and seeing how all the gear was set up, and I came away from that first broadcast being like, I'm not very good at this, but if I work at this, I think I could probably figure it out. And that's sort of what I did. I eventually went to do women's basketball and then men's basketball and then did a couple baseball games, not a whole lot. Um, But over time, I began to do other sports. I mean, I did everything from volleyball to lacrosse, worked with a bunch of different partners. We had a lot of fun. I made a lot of great friends that way. And sort of that experience led me into thinking maybe that this could be something that I'd want to do professionally, and eventually that's what happened. Wow, and during your time there, from like a production standpoint as well, it's kind of like building chemistry with, with your, your analysts or color commentators or, you know, vice versa. You do color, uh, they do play-by-play. How easy or difficult, in a sense, was it kind of like building those relationships? Because obviously off-air is one thing you could just... Uh, shoot the breeze with people but then uh, as soon as you're on the air it's like a completely different experience you're trying to like build that on-air chemistry with someone the nice thing about being there was that all the people that were involved with the club were all really nice yeah and i would hang out with them not only when we do broadcast but i would see some of them out at parties i'd have classes with some of them i might see them at the library and a bunch of whom i actually stay in touch with today uh, zach who i mentioned is one of my best friends, he now lives in Houston, is an attorney, and, uh, and, that, and in addition to that, and the, the coolest thing that, that most people don't know is that Brett Hollander, who is a new member of our broadcast team this year, and who I do a podcast with called Orioles Magic, he and I actually went to college together. Wow. Uh, he was sort of the superstar, I guess you could say, of the WTCV wow. sports department. Brett was a senior when I was a freshman, but he was maybe the, the, the kind of the, the, the archetype of if you can get to this point and you work like he does at doing this, then maybe you could have an opportunity to do this professionally. And I didn't really know that you could make the jump into that as a career, but he graduated. I, I got to know him a little bit, and then he went straight into the major markets. I mean, he was in, in Baltimore, and then he went from one station to WBAL and then eventually with the Orioles, and I did it a little bit differently where I was in the minor leagues and then eventually moved into kind of doing minor league baseball, some ACC events, some stuff with yeah. regional sports networks, some stuff with a uh, major market station, uh, and just a whole lot of things in between. And I kind of went about it a different way, but it just sort of goes to show in this industry that you can start in different places and eventually end up in the same spot. It's, it's nice to have a, a former Red Devil uh, with me because uh, we have a lot of fun and uh, we've got, we followed each other's uh, careers and, until we got uh, both to the Orioles. Well, that's an awesome story. And, and on that topic, like you just mentioned, like working your way through the minor leagues, building those relationships, like kind of coming full circle with uh, you and your friend there. Like when it comes to like going through the minor leagues and even – in college, of course, you're doing more than just play-by-play. You're serving as, like, a studio host, reporting, producing, 
How much experience did you gain from those, ex like, experiences early on? And, like, how overwhelming, in a sense, was it, like, during your time at, like, IMG or in other ventures? I would do pretty much anything that anybody asked me to do right. if it meant that I had an opportunity to be on the air. Because, and we were talking about this before we started the podcast, that broadcasting is a calisthenic exercise. And right. the more you do it, the, the better you're going to be. And... When, when I was at Dickinson, I would do play-by-play, -play, I would be the color analyst, I would do studio stuff, I would learn how to set up the gear. We had this, this tie line uh, piece of machinery that we would use to, to connect to, to our station, a little bit of stuff with streaming. We were, based on when I graduated, we hadn't kind of gotten to the point where you all are now, where you might have production studios and ESPN3 broadcasts or ACC Network Extra broadcasts where students can be involved. We didn't quite have that type of stuff then, but I looked for any opportunity that I could have. And then when I went to IMG, like you pointed out, a lot of times the the part-time people, like I was I was a part-time person for a couple years, and then I would go to do a minor league baseball team for a season, and then I would come back. Because I was a part-time person and the full-time producers were capped at different hourly limits, they, they were able to do their broadcast, but, but they couldn't really fill in and do anyone else's, so that's where yeah. they relied on a lot of the part-time people. And so I would be asked quite a bit to fill in on other broadcasts. So I might do Wake Forest in the afternoon, and then I might do a South Carolina basketball broadcast or a University of Kansas basketball broadcast or fill in doing a Troy University football broadcast or working with Craig Way and, and doing some stuff on the, on the Longhorn Network. So there was, there was so many opportunities there. I get to do a little bit of play-by-play, -play and I found those experiences invaluable because not only was I getting reps and hearing how other broadcasts work, but I, I listened to a lot of really good play-by-play -play broadcasters. I made a lot of mental notes. I wrote some of them down, too, and they gave me some things to work with when I would go out and do my play-by-play -play broadcast as, as what I could take and apply, and, and a lot of those experiences helped shape me into to what I've eventually become. Well, on, on that note, when it comes to, like, mentoring guys and, of course, um, uh, mentoring guys who are protégés, like, what was the biggest... I want to say piece of, like, constructive criticism that you've ever gotten from, like, a veteran broadcaster. That kind of stuck with you in a sense that, like, yeah, it was kind of overwhelming, but in the same time, you're like, that was, like, probably the biggest gift I've ever received when I'm trying to make it as a sports broadcaster. That's a really good question, and I don't know if it's necessarily been just one thing. Um, I, I think that the first thing is remember that you are there for the listener if right. you're doing radio and if you're doing television you're there to accentuate the product like i never try and make a broadcast about me and that's one thing that, that i told the orioles when i when i interviewed with them and what when people ask me what my style is it's i never try and make it about me because people are going to watch the game regardless of who's calling it so i don't want to impede anyone's experience and i want to make sure that it's informative that it's fun that it's entertaining and it's smart too i, I want to make sure that, that people don't feel like we're treating them like idiots right and i, I want to make sure it's a fun experience for for every section of people that are watching or listening and so i would say being unselfish on air is really important i would say trying to get the most out of the person that you're working with 
And, and with the Orioles, we have a great group of, of broadcasters. It's a large group, but it's a really good group. And so I, I feel like as long as I do my job and I put those people in the best position to do theirs and give them an opportunity to do the, the best work that they can, then, then that's what's going to make for the best product and it's something that people are going to enjoy. Yeah, I was looking at the depth chart. You guys have, what, 18, 19 broadcasters on, on Tapper 2000? I think it's 19. Kevin wow. Allen was saying that we should have, like, a steel cage death match to, to like, figure out who the, the best one was. Oh, my God. It's like almost an entire depth chart. An entire 25-man roster for broadcasters. You know what? It is, but we're in a time where we have so many different platforms that we're, we're – providing content from so it might be something on instagram it might be something on twitter it might be youtube it might be a podcast it might be uh, a pre or post game show it might be a, a daily digital series like paul mancano does yeah. uh, with mass and all access there's so many different ways in which we're required to reach people it could be the written form like my colleague steve molesky and rock Kabako contribute to we're asked to do so many different things and provide content so many different ways that's the reason why we have a, a large broadcast staff at least for, for this year and it's cool i think to have a lot of different perspectives from different analysts maybe one was a pitcher and one was an infielder and this guy maybe was besides a, a player and an infielder he was maybe a coach and now he's a broadcaster we have a couple of different yeah. those we have uh, somebody like Gary Thorne, who's a Hall of Famer in, in a couple of different sports, and then you have somebody like me, who's in his early 30s. Um, but like you know, Kevin is, is great with the analytic side of things, and uh, just has an incredible sense of humor. So we all bring different things to the table. Like there are a lot of us, but we each can do different things and move across platforms. And I think it provides a pretty rich product for all the people that that consume Orioles baseball and uh, especially right now as, as we all try and work through this uh, pandemic and, and keep people entertained we, we all can contribute in a bunch of different ways oh absolutely and when it comes to broadcasting you mentioned podcasting we're doing a podcast right here what do you think is like the biggest uh, difference per se and since again I'm doing a podcast with you right now like when it comes to broadcasting obviously I think they're two completely different things broadcasting is uh, obviously a little bit more, I guess I'll use the word censored in a way, where podcasting, like you can either shoot the breeze, but at the same time, like there's more podcasts that are more um, uh, built up and censored in a way. Like what do you think is the biggest difference between broadcasting and podcasting? Well, I think you laid out a couple of things. For me, a podcast is a space where you can talk for a really long period of time if you have a lot of stuff to say. But if you don't have a lot of stuff to say or maybe there isn't as much there, you can kind of land the plane a little bit early and just be like, all right, this is the content with the, that we have today. It fits in this window of time. We've, we've kind of done everything that we, we wanted to do or talk about or we've asked this guest all the questions that, that we've wanted to. And, and you know what? Like, I think if you look at the podcast that we do right now called Orioles Magic, we did a conversation for Jim Palmer with Jim Palmer that went probably about an hour and ten minutes. And truthfully, with, with Jim, we, we, we could have probably gone like another 30 or 40 minutes. And, and in that case, maybe we didn't cover everything. But then we've also done some really good conversations, uh, like one we just had with Joe Saunders, that were a little bit on the shorter side. But what we 
picked up out of Joe was really good in the period in which we got it. We did one with Robert Andino, which was pretty similar. It was it was maybe a little bit shorter, but the content was really good. So I think a podcast allows you to focus on quality over quantity, right. whereas in a broadcast, you have to sort of fit everything into a specific window of time, and maybe it can leave you to feel like, okay, that was a good segment. All right, that was just a segment that we're trying to get rid of because we're filling time. Right. And on a podcast, then you don't have to worry about that. But um, the, the one thing that, that I will say that, that I, when I listen to podcasts, and that I think maybe a difference between a good podcast and a, and a bad podcast or a podcast that's, that I like a little bit more than another one, and this is just personal preference, is I like podcasts that are organized, that have a sense as to where they're going and what they're doing. Um, just because you can shoot the breeze, and, and those are, I think, what what it sounds like when it's done really well, but that doesn't mean it can just go all over the place. That doesn't right. mean it should be disorganized and, and have no particular meaning or the conversation isn't really that interesting and we're, we're you know, you're using bad language just because you can. Like, that's not... Right, right, right. To me, that, that's, not a, that's, not, that's not really what a good podcast is. So I want something that's... It's, it's kind of like what I talked about, something that's entertaining, something that's smart, something that people can learn from and enjoy, uh, but also something that's organized, too, and, and isn't too jarring for the person who's listening. Now, growing up, and especially now that you mentioned that, um, when it comes to sports media, what are you a bigger fan of, kind of like the uh, uh, ESPN personalities, the Fox guys, as opposed to, like, obviously the newer generation, everybody my age is into barstool sports me not specifically i think it's a little too ronky but uh it, given your just take on that now like you're more into uh things on I, I guess i could use the word professional side as opposed to like the ronky media that's being put out there today well I'm, i consume a little bit of everything yeah that's where i think you figure out your, your best ideas from and you you come up with different kinds of things because you mentioned barstool yeah there's a segment of it which can be a little bit raunchy and, and maybe go a little bit too far, but there's also some of it which is incredibly entertaining and right. incredibly smart. Like, what they do with the court, for instance, I think is a, is a great interview, and it's it is also, it's incredibly funny, but it's also um, incredibly, incredibly uh, well done as well, and uh, with somebody like Big Cat does, the way he answer, asks questions, like, just the way he asks things, and some of the outside-the-box things he comes up with, do some of them maybe go a little bit too far for a, a standard, like, radio platform? Yeah, maybe Yeah, so. some of them. But there are some things he comes up with that you're just like, man, that was really interesting. I never I never heard of that before. And so maybe when you, you listen to something like that, you pick up some ideas, and it reminds you, all right, maybe I'm going to ask this person this question because I've never asked them before. Like, I did that recently in the Jim Palmer podcast, Jim is known for having this unbelievable memory, and it just amazes me how somebody who pitched in the 60s, 70s, and 80s and has been a broadcaster since then could be able to remember minute details about it. bats. And, and I just asked him, like, Jim, how do you remember all the things that you remember? Because your memory is, is a steel trap. Like, I, I don't know yeah. how you do it. And so asking a question like that that's maybe a little bit different that maybe no one's asked it before – um, that's that's some of the things that, that I try and do, but I like different people for different reasons. Um, everyone has a different style, a different take. Um, when it comes to listening to play-by-play -play broadcasters, I like to hear what everybody has to do. 
there may be some that I listen to a little bit more than others because stylistically they're they're a little bit closer to what I do, and I think that can provide maybe some guidance on this is a good thing to try, this is how you do this. But I think there are things that you can check out from everybody, and uh, I don't try and close myself off. I, I like to hear uh, everybody from every age, from uh, every uh, race, and. Um, diversity and, and hear what everybody is, is trying to do with their broadcast because that's, I think, how you get better. Now, growing up on the East Coast, we obviously had a ton of great voices to listen to, whether it was in Philly with Harry Callis or New York with Michael Kay, Gary Cohn with the Mets, John Sterling on Yankees Radio. Who were some of your broadcast idols growing up? Probably Harry Callis would be one. I didn't know that I was going to be a broadcaster as we talked right, about earlier, right. but... When Harry would come on, he was in control, he was smooth, he was relaxed, he was funny. The rapport that he had with, with Richie Ashburn, uh, who everyone in, in Philly, they called, called him Whitey, um, he was just the best. And the, 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 the pair that they were and how they had fun and they made it entertaining, they were beloved in the city. And, and he set a lot of examples, not only for in the booth, how to do things the right way, but also how to be great in your community and how to be respectful to everybody. And he kind of set the, the, the gold standard for what being the voice of a team really means. So I, I followed what, what he was doing. I was a big fan of him. And I would say he's probably the, the main guy for me. And then Mark Zumoff as well, who I've gotten to know, yeah. is a friend of mine. Super smooth, gets the most out of his analysts, doesn't talk too much, lets the broadcast breathe, and makes some memorable calls when, when he needs to. And so there's a lot of great stuff. But like you pointed out, uh, there, there's so many great broadcasts out there today that are that are in kind of the area where, or at least I am now and where you are now. And, and Gary Cohen is one of the best in baseball. I think yeah. he's all of the boys. Howie Rose is great. Um, you know, just some of the other broadcasters, like locally, they're great. I think Ian Eagle is, is one of the best in the industry, and he always seems to have the right words at the right time and punctuate them in the right way. So those are just a couple of examples of guys I really like. Mike Green is another one, too. So uh, we're pretty blessed, at least in, in this section of the country, uh, just how good the, the broadcasters uh, are that we, we have to listen to. And um, it's, it's pretty cool to, to now be a, be a part of that in, in, in Baltimore with the Orioles. Now, being with the Orioles, and especially in spring training, you had about uh, six weeks there to prepare. Did you get any really great advice from Gary Thorne? Because you mentioned Hall of Fame broadcaster in his own right. You know what? I talked to Gary at our broadcast meeting, and Gary, Gary and I kind of just, we've known each other for a little bit for the last couple of years, and most of what we just do is we just catch up and we chat. What I what I do what I did do a couple of years ago was I, I talked to our producer uh, Dawn, who is one of the best in baseball, and she is has got a, a unique background because she's worked out in LA, she's done stuff with Fox, and she's worked with a lot of really really good play by play broadcasters, and so I, I would always listen pretty carefully to what she has to say. Because it's coming from the perspective of I've worked with this person and he's really good and this is why. And I've worked with this person and he's really good and this is why. And with Gary, it's he's entertaining. He's a master at being able to ad-lib and to make it fun and to take a, a game that, that isn't that entertaining and fun 
and keep people watching. And he's very relaxed, and, and that's kind of the, the thing that, that Don told me about working with Gary. He's, he's kind of up for whatever you want to do. Yeah. And you can throw anything at him, and he's not going to freak out. He's, he's just going to stay pretty calm and level-headed. And, and that's what I try and do when, when, I'm, when I'm in the broadcast booth, is just, just be the most relaxed person there. And if something weird happens, just handle it. Um, don't, don't, you know, if, if, the, if something's going off the rails, you know, you're the one, re, you know, responsible for keeping it a, a good listen and a good product. And so I would say maybe the, the biggest takeaway just from watching him and talking to people that have worked with him, and, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll all get to see him this year and maybe talk a little more broadcasting with him. Um, but, but I guess the thing with Gary is he manages to make it fun even when it's not fun, and he's level-headed and calm. And I've sat in the back of the booth when he's doing games, and just always in control, relaxed, nothing really bothers him. And uh, I think if you take that approach to, to broadcasting, then, then you're going to be all right. And you're going to make your partners and engineer or producer or whoever uh, pretty comfortable in the process too. Well, that's awesome. Have you had any, uh, like, really, I don't want to say, like, bad, like, growing up, whether it was in college, whether it was in the minors, whether it was even this spring training, any, like, notable broadcast blunders where you were just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that? <laughs> No, fortunately, none in spring training. I was, I was I was pretty good in, in spring training. There was one little thing that I that I that I messed up, and it was a, it was a very it was an honest mistake, and got it corrected. But that's going to happen when you're you're doing so many broadcasts. And um, what I what I try and do when I work with a lot of different people, and I think that this is important when no matter who you're working with. But I found the key to being effective with a bunch of different partners who maybe have different perspectives is the more people that you work with, the better your listening skills have to be because you're trying to figure out what their rhythm is, what their flow is, what they want to talk about, what they don't want to talk about, um, how to how to keep them going. And so I would kind of adjust to everybody that I, that I had. And, and I think everybody realized that and understood that and they, they, they could see that by me doing that, I was really focused on getting the best out of them. And so if, if you're easy to work with and you're a great listener and you just react to what your, your partner is saying, especially if it's an analyst who might be following something mm-hmm. in the game, I'm a lot more interested in what that person is saying and just following their lead and going with it as opposed to them going someplace and then me trying to tug the broadcast in a different direction. I don't, I don't right. think that works out so well. So being a good listener, I would say, is, is, a, is a really important thing and, and maybe one of the bigger takeaways I had from, from the spring training. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask you that because – uh, obviously in college I've had a few of my own me and my buddy once had a uh, we had a day game it was softball day game and then we had a women's basketball game at night back to back and in the baseball game I think in, I, it was just verbiage issues with me like it happens but I think I said sacrifice blunt instead of sacrifice bunt and I don't even think I picked up on it until like afterwards like you know you said blunt on the air I'm like oh okay and then we went to the basketball game the next uh, in like the next few hours and literally the first thing that came out of my mouth, I was doing color commentary. Uh, they, uh, one of our girls hit it like right at the shot clock, uh, and it went in. I'm just like, wow, right at the shot cock. And my buddy looked at me. He's like, dude, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We have embarrassing gaps and mistakes that we make when we're, when we're doing broadcasts. 
And there's just some times, and it happens to me, yeah. and it happens to everybody, where you say a word and it just doesn't, you don't hit it quite right. Right. And so the best thing that you can do in that spot is, um, is you, you move on. Most of the time, you probably don't even realize that you do it, and, and when that happens, it's just, I think everyone knows, like, okay, that, he wasn't intending to say that. I had a, an instance last year with uh, my, my partner who was in his, doing his first series with me, and this is a kid that's a friend of mine, and I've, I've known him for, for a while, and I love this guy. But we had an outfielder on our team named Kervin Mesquite. So oh, boy. If you, if, you, if you take the last name and you add a, you add a letter to it at the end, then he becomes an insect. And unfortunately, <laughs> my, my partner made that mistake and, and little faux pas where a fly ball hitting to, to shallow center field, mosquito coming in, and I, I, I lost it. I did the cough. And, uh, but it's like he didn't realize that he did it. It's an honest mistake. Oh, yeah. and, and he went over to and he went over to Kerwin later and apologized for it. And he and, and Kerwin was really cool about it. He's like, you know, it, it happened. It's a mistake. But it's just one of those things that, that you do when you're learning. I, I remember my first year when I was doing baseball in in Frisco, and I, I had a bunch of those moments where I said stuff and it, and it got out. I had no idea that I even said it. And and over time, I feel like you're going to realize the mistakes when you make them because you're going to become a better self-editor as you go. And something that you might have accidentally said you'll catch later on. Uh, that's just been my experience with it. But, but early on especially, there are things that are going to come out of your mouth and you're not going to know that you even did it. And that's why you go back and listen to the tape and you make the corrections necessary. And I think the audience most of the time knows that when you're talking extemporaneously for a couple of hours, there's some words that you're going to hit right, and there's some that you just want. Do you think it's better to mess up and not realize it in in the moment, as opposed to messing up and realizing it and just like feeling bad about it, like oh my god, I can't believe I just said that? And it's like you don't want to correct yourself either, like on the air, unless you do it right away. Do you think it's better messing up and not realizing it until you actually look back at the tape later on? Well, I think if you realize it immediately, like you said, that's when you correct it. But if you messed up or whatever, there's there's chances are the people that are listening didn't hear it because when you're watching a game on TV or when you're listening to a game on radio, you're, usually you're doing something else. I mean, for me, if I watch a game, I might be on Twitter, I might be reading a book or something like that. Just best to move on. Don't get too bogged down and start thinking about it because then you'll make another mistake and. The more you're you're worried about making a mistake, I think the more likely you are that you're going to make one. That, that's something that I learned from from the guy that I, I used to work with at IMG. So it's best just to, to do your thing and, and go at your pace. And if you mess up, you mess up. That's fine. But just move on to the next thing, and and, and all will all will be forgiven. Because most people realize for those those little mistakes, you you weren't intending to make it. It just didn't come out the right way. Well, on the topic of this, I wanted to get your take on this, too, because I, it was two summers ago I was interning in the California Collegiate League doing play-by-play, and obviously, from a production standpoint, you're kind of on your own. You have your camera, you have a few wires, and you got to set it up all by yourself. There was one game where I was, and we had to broadcast the game up in the bleachers, and ha- about halfway through the game, everything just blacked out because the one wire that was plugged into the outlet, like, 
three three stairs down, uh, it plugged out, and I'm like, oh wow, this this is kind of lame. But what what was the most difficult broadcast that you had to do from either college or even in the minor leagues? The most difficult broadcast you had to do from a production standpoint. There's too many to name. There was a time <laughs> when I was doing a, a football game on television, and our comms stopped working with the truck. So I was getting text messages, and it was unfortunately a broadcast that contained a lot of sponsored elements. Oh, yeah. So that was a bit of a disaster, and and maybe the way that they went about ensuring all those elements got in – uh, they, they didn't do the best job of that. It was it was a little it was a little bit too much, and you just that was a broadcast that that was one that you put in the rearview mirror and you never revisit because it's not worth wasting your time on that. Oh my god! There was a there was another instance where uh, we were at a at a at a at a different place in our league, and. Uh, they were having all kinds of internet problems. Given with, I, I won't, I won't say which place it was, but but those former colleagues that might probably know what I'm, which place I'm talking about. They had all kinds of different issues, and, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and I think actually a buddy of mine might have called me, asking for some help. He's like, "Hey, I have this unit. I'm trying to like work with this and figure this out." And I know that he lost a couple of broadcasts, and I was having a, a similar problem because the internet wasn't connecting and so I, I was on the phone with like our IT person and this IT person I would always give them a heads up hey we're going to this place something might happen if something does I might need to get a hold of you wow. so, so that way uh, so that, that there, there was a double header and it was just it was a nightmare it was just me um, and I didn't I didn't have my normal partner with me and we had all kinds of problems we were trying to get on a hot spot we were like nothing seemed to work so we were kind of going in and out um on our on our broadcast that night there was nothing that we could do there was nothing that anybody could do um if you if you don't have internet and uh, you have a, a hot spot that isn't quite working or, or anything like that there, there's just there's nothing that can be done about right it. and a lot of times you'd have people that would be having the same kinds of problems so that wasn't a, a whole lot of fun and then last year this is this is operator error on my part this was not good it was right before another doubleheader so all the bad stuff seems to happen during doubleheaders uh, i was getting ready to a pregame show and um i guess i was a little bit too wound up over something maybe i had a little bit too much caffeine in the system but it was a onto from the task computer and it fried the motherboard. Oh my so god! I had to go out and pick up an adapter and reinstall our uh, our our system onto my partner's laptop. And there were some bandwidth issues that we didn't figure out until the next day. We ended up getting this all resolved and everything, um, and, and eventually it was fine. It was, but but for that night, it was like we're going in and out, and we'd be on, and then we'd be off, and we'd be on, and we'd be off. Uh, fortunately, we had a, a, our buddy Greg come over the next day and he helped us through some things. But those were three instances where uh, just a lot of bad stuff happened. And when it when it does, you realize that sometimes you're going to spill a cup of Gatorade on your computer and there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it. And then there are times where um, you're going to have some other things that don't go right. You just have to, to keep on going. I'm, I'm I'm sure you won't make that same mistake this year or in the years to come. But but even from like a storytelling standpoint, uh, being where you are now, like to tell that story now, it's like it was meant to be, right? 
from like a story from a, from a storytelling aspect. Yeah, just keep your Gatorade like away for, from the table, away from the monitor in the booth at Camden Yards this year. Yeah, I kept, I kept all my stuff on the. I kept my drinks on the floor after that. They they never <laughs> put on the table again. <laughs> now, now, from a minor league uh, standpoint, uh, whether it was your time in Frederick or even in Delaware or even uh, in Bowie, you do play by play, and then you do things on the media relations side. I kind of wanted to pick your brain about what exactly you did on the media relations side, whether it was like writing articles, interviewing players, like what were what were like the exact. Uh, uh, duties of being on the media relations side? Well, there's a lot of different things, and it, it varied a little bit from team to team, but when I was in Wilmington, it was a great learning experience because everything that I was going to do in Frederick, I was doing in Wilmington. Uh, I worked with a, a guy who's a, who's a very close friend of mine now, Matt Janice, and Matt was doing a lot of sales work, and he would do his section of the notes, but he had a lot of sales responsibilities. He might have to go on sales calls and um, run around, so he might be out of the office for an extended period of time. So I did pretty much everything. I did game notes, I did press releases, I did roster moves, I did pre-game interviews, we would do feature stories maybe like every other week, we would do stuff for the team Playbill or magazine. Uh, then when I got to Frederick, it was very much the same type of stuff. The only other added element was that I would do some work for marketing and I would help plan events. That was a lot of what I did in the offseason. I might go speak to some different places. I would record radio ads that would run at a bunch of our different places where we had trade deals. I would uh, do some work for, for our blog. We would do a digital show a couple times a week, which uh, those things are, are still still out there. Uh, the Orioles, uh, I also need to do some different things for them for Masson last year as well where we do different features with minor leaguers so it meant a pretty darn busy time uh, while we were while i was coming up through the system and there were certain days and most minor league broadcasters can attest to this where you're going to run into the booth 15 minutes before you go on the air your book is going to be blank and it's just yeah going into straight all right, we have this left over from our road trip, and I haven't used this yet, so this is what we're going to do, and we'll figure the rest out as we go. So it's a lot of broadcasts where you're, you're flying by the seat of your pants, but when you do that, it, it builds a certain degree of confidence that, okay, I can not only do a broadcast this way, even though it's, it's not advisable, and if you can avoid it, you definitely want to, but if you are pulled in a thousand different directions during the day, and then you have to jump into the booth, pretty much no prep done, and just wing it, that you can. And as, I, as I've gone back maybe over the, the time where we've been at home, and I've listened to some of those older broadcasts, I was like, you know what, I remember that day, I had this going on, I had this going on, I had this going on, and that was a pretty darn good broadcast. And so if you can, if you can show somebody you can do a really good job, even when you don't have a whole lot of stuff prepared on that particular day, uh, that can, can build a lot of confidence and make you realize, well, if, if, if we ever have a worst-case scenario like this, I, I, know I'm, I know I'm going to be able to get through it. Yeah, and on, on that topic, when it comes to preparing for a game, because obviously you did uh, football games, soccer games, like whatever it was, what, what's the biggest difference do you think that baseball has over that sport when it comes from a preparation standpoint, given that it is almost every single day? That's the big part, is that you – is you do games on a daily basis, you pick up different things and you remember different things and you can recall certain other points in time and and, and you're just you're building upon everything that's going on. You, you 
you would interview people every day. You have different things that you can talk about, different stories or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm big when I do interviews on – I'll ask some baseball stuff, but there's a lot of non-baseball stuff I want to ask. Yeah. And I want to follow the rhythm of the person that I'm interviewing to figure out what they want to go and what means the most to them. Um, so I just want to make sure that uh, it, it'll be fun and entertaining and that kind of the, the story will build upon itself. But uh, baseball, like uh, it's, it's a little more free-flowing. I have stuff written down in my in my book on things that I'd want to go to. I'd write stuff in the margins, like I want to try this with this guy. I might want to mention this streak with this person. I might want to tell this story with this person. So I'd have like a couple things for everybody. I would a lot of times not get to them, but I had them if I needed them or I had them if the game became out of hand. Like they were just reminders of some things that I could go to. And, and so – Having all those different tools in your back pocket and, and just you build up so much material over time if you're in the minor leagues and there's so many stories that you can tell and just a bunch of different things happening and it also teaches you too with baseball that um, sometimes you just have to watch the game and talk about what you were seeing on the field and if you listen to a broadcast like the Giants like that's why they're so good if you, yeah. if you listen to the radio broadcast. Uh, it is just they're observing stuff that's happening. They're watching the game in front of them. And, and if sometimes you just turn to that, like that isn't a bad thing because you're describing the action in real time. And, and so I find that doing a lot of that is good. And then especially on radio, um, people are like, well, you have so much time to fill. And I'm like, well, on radio, it's, it's not like doing television. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I have to be cognizant of because my listeners won't know so it's, it's my job to fill in the blanks and, and just talk about the game first and then if you can get in an anecdote or a story or some other things that are fun that's great but but it can't ever come at the expense of the, the essentials that the listener has to have oh yeah and you, and you touched on uh interviews kind of like uh finding that balance of you know talking about the game and the player and whether it's their stats, what they've been doing on the field, as opposed to talking about, like, say, whatever their interests are, like you mentioned, like, listening to them and kind of getting a sense of where, like, the conversation's going. Like, when you're interviewing guys, when it's, like, obviously for broadcasts, you want to talk about the game and their performance, but when it comes to just making content, whether it's for interviews or podcasts or even things on YouTube, where do you, uh, like, find that balance of talking about, like, their career and then other things that they may be interested in, like, things that you pick up on during the interview? Depends on who you're talking with. Right. Some people who can maybe analyze the game and do it in a really intellectual fashion, and that's a fun conversation. But there's some who throw out a lot of cliches or maybe describe stuff in really general terms, like, yeah, I'm just trying to be more consistent right now. It's like, all right, I've heard that a million times. Like, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't really a, right. this isn't, that's not really adding to anything in this conversation. So that's when you, you might bring up something else, or you might have another point where that you want to explore, or you might, you might ask them uh, about, like, we had a bunch of players on our team this year that had, that had kids in the offseason, or had young kids, and so talking to them about being a dad, that's always a fun conversation. Uh, maybe asking uh, some of them, like, tell me about, like, your first experience in baseball. Like, how did you get into baseball? What was your favorite sport growing up? Uh, what type of games did you go to growing up? We have one person who, who had a dad who played in the major leagues, and we'd ask him about how often he talked to you about the game. So 
that there are a lot of different areas where you can go with the player. I don't think it's it's a one size fits all approach. You sort of just follow what what they're talking about. If you have questions that are interesting or, or things that, that you want to go into, um, those are always great to explore on the baseball side. But if the answers that you're getting back are really just a lot of like fluff or yeah. content that, that isn't really that meaningful or it's cliched, it's like, all right, I'm not really interested in this. And, and the listener won't be either. So that's where you begin to move into some other things, uh, getting to know the, the person and, and what their story is and what their background is. And, and that's the kind of things that I, I think listeners not only enjoy, but also remember too. Is there one player that you covered or even just one interview that kind of sticks out to you that you thought like there was like great chemistry, a great conversation that like really like you were uh, proud of? There are a lot of them. I had a really kind of broad conversation last year with Sigma Gallup, who was the Orioles' assistant GM for analytics. Yeah. Sig doesn't do a whole lot of interviews, but I asked him to do one with me, and he sort of mentioned what he wanted to discuss and, and what his level of expertise was. And so it was more of a broad-ranging conversation, and it was I thought it was really it was smart, it was entertaining, um, it was... It was maybe perspective that a lot of Orioles fans and, and Orioles fans who followed the minor leagues hadn't gotten here before. So I thought that was really good. I had a great conversation my first year with Greg Maddox, uh, which was, I thought, awesome. He's, he's one of my favorite pitchers of all time. And we covered a lot of ground from him pitching in, in the major leagues to him working with some of the minor league players to things that he was pinpointing for different guys to work on and focusing on. Um, he broke uh, he broke somebody's bat batting practice by throwing BP, so that was something we talked about too, which was really funny. <laughs> and it, so there's just there's, those are those are two maybe that stand out. One a little longer ago, one a little bit more recent. But um, some great player interviews too. Caleb Joseph when he was on a rehab assignment with us, um, I had a great conversation with him, remembering his time catching Zach Britton in the minor leagues and talking about. He's like, yeah, I remember a lot of. 55 foot sinkers in the dirt um, and just those kinds of things like those are the, those are the great conversations and, and where you build a rapport and you have a player talking yeah. you, just, you keep them going and then there's some other guys that um, maybe that I had in the minor leagues that, that I interviewed like Trey Mancini was always really uh, introspective and open and honest Stevie Wilkerson was really fun and and so, and then there, there's a lot of players too that they may not have reached the major leagues, but you could talk to them and they would be really honest with you and they would also tell some great stories. So uh, those were always pretty awesome. Now, when it comes to building those relationships with guys, how easy or difficult was it for you to build those relationships kind of like right off the bat? Because there are some guys who are definitely more open than others, right? Right. You just know where to start with people. And I'm not anywhere. This is not my personality. I'm more of a, hi, I'm Jeff. Where are you from? This is who I am. I'm excited to get to know you. And even with players that I've known for previous seasons that maybe I hadn't seen in some time, it was more or less just, how are you? How's your family? How's your daughter? How's this? How's that? And it's like, I'll get into some maybe baseball questions later. If I have a specific question that I'm really interested in, or maybe something that needs to be clarified, I'll ask. And I think the players appreciate you being honest and just wanting to get it right. But over time, I think you, you 
build enough of a rapport and a respect where everyone realizes, okay, this isn't a bad guy. He's not looking to, to hose me or anything like that. And when you're covering a team for 162 games in spring training and you're around a lot, um, there, there's time. There, there's plenty of time to, to build rapport with everybody. And some players are going to want to talk to you and some players aren't going to want to talk to you. Right. But you, you try to be professional and um, kind to everybody. And if, if a player wants to talk and, and they're, they're honest, um, then, then that can, I think, lead to some, some great stuff that you know, maybe you can share on the air if they're, if they're comfortable with doing that. And, and then for those who aren't, you just realize that's, that's part of the game. Some people want to wanna be you know, shown for who they are and, and right. talk about you know, who they are as people and players, and, and some people don't. But uh, just being professional and I think coming in and just starting off really slow and then over time, um, I think you can you know, gradually move from there. But just, just coming in really hot really early on, yeah. asking a lot of hard questions and going a little too far like, Nobody wants that, and, and, um, and I definitely try to avoid that. I kind of want to switch gears and go back to your uh, broadcasting days early on when it was in college or even the minor leagues. Like You guys always talk about like, repetition is key. How long did it take for you personally to you know, like, kind of find your own voice in a sense? Like, Did you ever try and um, emulate any broadcasters or take anything away from any, any broadcasters when starting out? Just to like, feel your feet? people that I would listen to just for pointers on what to do and what not to do. Um, my first year that I was in Frisco, I was terrible. I, I thought that I was going to be fired after the first game because <laughs> I was so bad. And I felt I felt really guilty about it. And I, I remember I was talking to my partner, Alex Despoli, at the time. And I kind of just apologized. I was like, listen, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know that wasn't good. But if you stick with me, I'm really working hard at this. And, and he, he was really kind and understanding about it because he told me that when he had his first game experience and when he did his first you know, broadcast in the minor leagues, he'd done maybe four or five practice games. And, and that was about what I had done. Like we, we, we came in with a similar baseline of experience. And when, when, I, when I went back and I, and I found some, some games that he used to do when he was early on in his minor league career, I was like, man, that wasn't really that good either. So that made me feel a little bit like, okay, this, this takes some time to figure out how to do this. And, yeah. and I would say that it, it took me probably a good four to five years to really figure out how I wanted a baseball broadcast to go and how I wanted it to sound and, and, and what I kind of needed to do. And I've tweaked a bunch of stuff during that time. For, for me, you know, I have different things that I focus on, and, and I've, I've pinpointed a lot of those different elements and just figure, like, okay, I, if I work on this, then this will be a little bit better. And So probably about five years before I figured out just how to broadcast a, a game the right way. And then I've had a lot of different people that I've listened to that have helped. Uh, Ken Korak, I think, has been great. He's with the A's, and he's been a, he's been a huge help to me. Um, I talked to Eric Nadell, who's right. he's just a wordsmith, great at describing things, and he's given me some great advice. Mike Farron, who is with the Diamondbacks, is a really close friend, looks at broadcasting in a really technical perspective, and I, I just I always appreciated his perspective and take because he thought about it really analytically, and so he and I have some great broadcasting conversations about some you know really just in the weeds. 
grades, wonky kind of stuff. And so, so those are a couple that, that really helped me as, as I was starting to, to get going. And then some of the different guys that I worked with when I was younger, Matt Janis, who I mentioned in Wilmington, um, he worked with John Sadak for a really long time. So John passed on a lot of stuff for him, and John's one of the best in the industry. And also with Alex Vespoli, my, my first broadcast partner, and I learned a lot from Alex, and some of you know, I was able to apply then. But I think a lot of the things that he gave me, I realized later on, oh, okay, this is what he meant when he said this. Because some of it would just go over my head initially or I wouldn't realize or I just wouldn't be able to apply. But as the game slowed down and as I did more of it and I would have some moments, I'd be like, oh, that's what he was talking about. That's what he meant. So I would often in the first couple of years come back to some different things that Alex pointed out and it would just be like, all right, that's – that's where he was going with that when he when he was telling me that. That's what he meant. So, uh, a lot of a lot of the, those early teachings from him, from Matt, and from a lot of those guys that I mentioned as well, uh, still inform the way that I, I broadcast today. But but as we all know, uh, none of us are finished products, and right. we, we need to keep working at our crafts every day. Now, given your experiences and given the, like you just literally said, you're working on your craft every day. Like from your time in spring training this year, what do you think? was the biggest learning curve kind of uh, going from the minor leagues to uh, the major leagues in a broadcast booth? Probably working with analysts. Um, I'd worked with analysts in uh, different sports. So I did a lot of television in the off season. So, um, so I would work with um, maybe a, an analyst here. I would work with this person here. And, and then I'd do football. Uh, the guy that I worked with last year was a former NFL quarterback. Um, and, and I'd done some baseball broadcast with uh, with a friend of mine uh, doing some ACC games, Larry Sorensen. Larry did some stuff a long time ago for ESPN, was on the Tigers broadcast team, former pitcher. And, and that was my first entree into this is how you work with a former player or, or former athlete on a, on a baseball broadcast. But uh, a lot of my games that I did in spring training were with analysts who had played the game. And so my first game was, was on television. And then my second one was with Mike Bordick on radio. And then I'd work with Brian Roberts. And then Melanie Newman would come in. And then I'd work with right. Brett Hollander, who is a different talk show host. Um, but, but I'd say most of my broadcasts in spring were with analysts. And it was just adjusting to their rhythm and how much they wanted to talk and when they wanted to talk and where they wanted to go uh, and listening to what they were saying while also weaving in the play-by-play. And they're yeah. all really good. But uh, just, just figuring out how to make sure I was getting the best out of them and I was I was following their rhythm and flow and, and understanding where they wanted to go. Um, not something that I'd had to do before really on, on the baseball side because – I told you I'd, I'd done games on television, but when you do games on radio, the, the play-by-play is still the most important thing because right. you need to know what's going on in the game. So uh, just re- rem- remembering to, to give the listener the essentials while also following the conversation and the flow and making sure that I was painting a, a good picture while also ensuring that our analysts could tell stories and provide perspective and and analyze the game in the way that they wanted to that was right. probably the biggest that was probably the biggest thing that I was I was focused on now what was the whole process like you know uh, going back and forth with the ball club about talking about potentially joining the broadcast team in 2020 before you eventually got that call because I'm sure it was just a very anxious process uh, and probably a long process too well it's 
started in November, and what you have to remember is that I've worked for one of their affiliates in Frederick since 2014, and I knew pretty much everybody right. there, um, not only on the uh, executive team, but I knew a lot of the people with Masson, I knew the, the producer, the executive producer, a bunch of the other different producers and uh, directors and, and other people there, and... So, so I'd, I'd always had a good relationship with everybody. Our PR staff has, has been intact for, I think, pretty much fully for the last five years. And I knew everyone there, and we all got along really well, and we would check in you know, periodically. Uh, it just was a matter of timing. Uh, when, when Joe Angel had left the previous year, they made a great hire in bringing Kevin on. Um, but the, the Orioles, they, they decided to make some additional changes uh, after the 2019 season. There were changes on the baseball operations side. There were changes on the business side where they uh, moved a couple people into different roles and, and did a few other things. And they reached out in, in November, and I heard from somebody that uh, is now my boss that, that, I, that I've known for a long time. And he said, we're looking to make some changes on the broadcast side. If you could send um, a lot, or we're looking for just a lot of materials from you. So they reached out to me directly. And it was probably a two-day process where I kind of went through what he needed and uh, found what he was looking for and kind of organized it so that way he could listen and it wouldn't be that difficult to find everything. And then uh, I think Friday I passed along. He was really appreciative. He said we'd be in touch. And then I didn't really think about it that much for the next three or four weeks. December was really busy. Uh, my sister was getting married. I had uh, started a, a role with a, a major market station in D.C. and uh, was also working in Frederick, and we'd had some staff changes there. So there was, there was a ton of things going on, and I had basketball too. And I uh, followed up right after uh, my, my sister's wedding, and I was on vacation, and, and, I, and I followed up, and, and they were said, you know, we're going to follow up just after the first of the year. And January 2nd, they got a hold of me, and they, they told me what was, was, was going on, and I was at Candy Arts a few days later, and then a couple days after that, they told me that they were going to bring me on, and this is what they wanted to do. And um, so it was, it was a, incredibly exciting and incredibly uh, and I just a huge honor to be asked to be part of it, and um, and so and we kind of went from there and got got my life moved to, to Baltimore and and got my apartment somewhat um, figured out, and uh, then went down to spray training and until about six weeks later when wow. we had to come back with everything that's gone on. But but uh, yeah, it was it was a process that it started in November and. Uh, you know, followed up in December. I think everyone was busy. You know, our, our executive team had been in place for only a short period of time, and and so it was going to take a little while to sort everything out. But then we moved into January and we kicked it a high gear, and uh, and uh, so got the got the new year started off on the right foot. Now, what was going to be um, kind of your plan otherwise? Just talking from again like that anxiety standpoint, I'd be anxious as heck during that whole situation. Like. When when they when they um, talk to you and they say, "Hey, do you have time to talk tomorrow?" Is it more of the sense like you're confident, like this is going to go in the right direction? But like, was there an inkling of you that said, "Okay, maybe this won't work out"? Well, I was pretty anxious about it, 
my inclination was that it was good news because if it was not good news, yeah. they probably weren't going to call you and tell you about right. it. They'd probably just email you about it. So, so I had a sense it was pretty good, and um, I was doing a shift, and I was I was anchoring sports, and um, my boss and I were supposed to connect earlier, but he had a meeting that ran long, and I had to run in to get started. And so I was, like, literally sitting there for, like, an hour just being like, okay, like, what's going to happen? And we, we got we got through some breaking news, and I ran out of there and, and, and got on the phone, and, and he told me the news, and I was, I was pretty ecstatic. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And I was like, this is, this is fantastic. And uh, so it, it ended up working out great. And, um, and, and it, was, it was probably nerve-wracking from the point where, where I heard back in December until we made it into the new year. That's when I was pretty, pretty anxious about everything that was, was going on. Cause it's like, all right, this is, this is kind of do or die. Yeah. Uh, I've done my part. I, I felt really confident about the things that I submitted and I, I felt really good about the relationships that I built and, uh, and the things that I had done. But, um, but yeah, it eventually, it eventually worked out. And, and I think I've done a pretty good job so far of, of, of living up to the things that they want me to do. And, um, but you know, in the meantime, we just got to keep learning and working and getting better. So that way when, when baseball starts, we'll be, we'll be ready to rock and roll. Now, what are you doing right now to kind of like keep your, your, uh, skills sharp? Like I saw on your Instagram page, uh, the whole backyard baseball play by play, which I thought I'm like, there's a guy that that's keeping his mind sharp. There's a guy that's keeping his skills sharp. Have you done anything to prepare for the season? That was actually a video that we did as as kind of just uh, at the very start of all this. Yeah. And they asked all of us to do some different videos and <laughs> things like that, and they retweeted it. It, it was some, somebody thought that that was my, my home run call or whatever because I said corrupt at the end, and I was like I was like no, this is, this is just a joke. I, I promise. <laughs> I'm not serious about this. But the, the way I stay sharp is I read a lot. Um, I've read. Um, I think I'm on my eighth book right now, and so so a lot of them are baseball books. I read a lot about Orioles history uh, at the very beginning. I, I got some different Orioles history books, and so I, I knew who all the people were from just my time in the minor leagues. But sometimes I wasn't quite sure where everyone fit into the the, the overall historical outline of the team. So that's cleared up a lot of different things. And then this podcast has been great because not only have we had great conversations with Orioles legends and other Orioles uh, personnel and and people, but it's also been a great way to relive and remember some of the different historical moments in team history. And it's, it's been just awesome. So I feel like I'm a million times better versed on team history and specific moments in time and specific games so so that's been a really good experience and has been super helpful uh, i read the news every day that, that our, our writers put out we have a, a really good group of, of writers that uh, a number of them have been covering the team for a long time and, and do a really good job so i, I read all of their stuff daily I read the national stuff that's going on. I have uh, no page on our team that I update. And then, um, you know, just, just preparing for our podcast that we do and, and looking at, you know, historical things. And then also reviewing games. I've reviewed every game that I've done at spring training. Some I've reviewed a couple of times. And I've pinpointed a few things that, that I'm, I'm going to work on and, and tweak and, and make sure to, to improve. And then also going back and listening and 
rewatching some other games and making sure that I don't have any bad habits or things like that. So yeah. I'm pretty active at, at staying focused and finding ways to improve and, and be better with all of this stuff going on. And, and hopefully we'll have baseball and we'll be able to implement it and uh, we'll, we'll keep doing a good job. Have you been able to, like, I don't want to say, like, deeply think about things, but, like, think about uh, things that you kind of want to try when you go back from an on-air perspective that you didn't think about during spring training since, again, we have, like, all this downtime to do some thinking? I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I thought the way – one thing I did was I listened to the games I did on, on, on this side of things this year, you know, doing big league spring games, and then also listening back to some games I did last year and just kind of compared the two and how they sounded. And I realized that I'm basically doing the same stuff I've always done, and it sounds professional. It sounds like a, a major league broadcast is supposed to. Um, I do all the, the necessary things that I, I think are required and describing stuff so that everyone knows what's going on. And, um, and you know, there's, there's definitely some good conversation. There's some times where we just lay off a little bit, relax. Um, so the things that, that, that I'm probably focused on are a little bit more just, you know, things that will get smoothed out as you work with everybody a little bit more. Um, and that you'll you'll adjust to as you as you have different partners, and uh, because as you know, when when you work with somebody for the first time or the first couple of times, it, it'll take a little bit of time to right. figure out your rhythm and pace and where you want to go and what you want to do. And over time, it it grows and it develops and it improves. Um, so so I'd say most of of what I'm trying to do is is rather small, but uh, but still meaningful uh, because. As, as Orioles fans know, um, the expectation for, for broadcasters is very high because there's Gary Thorne right now, and before me, you had Jim Hunter, and then you had Joe Angel, and right. Manfred, if you go farther back in time, uh, guys like Bill O'Donnell, and Ernie Harwell was with the Orioles for a time, and Herb Carneal, and uh, Frank Messer. So there, there's so many great broadcasters um, in team history. John Miller is, a, is another one who I left out, but um, I, I realize what the expectation level is, and, and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm meeting that because uh, because you're, you're expected to be good with, with who is, who's come before you. Now, in that sense, did you get any uh, kind of, I don't want to call it like hate mail, but like people on Twitter kind of uh, busting your chops about some things, even during spring training? <laughs> for the most part yeah. and I think they realize that, um, that like I said I, I don't make it about me I, I try and inform first and let everyone know what's going on and as I work with different partners and adjust then, then it'll keep getting better and um, and everybody, it was it was really positive overall. Um, I, I think people uh, were, were kind. You're never going to have an 100% approval rating when you're a, a play-by-play broadcaster at that level. You just you won't. Uh, no one no one does. And if you look anyone's name up on Twitter that does Major League Baseball, you're going to have some vile things written about you and, and some things that are just not yeah. particularly nice. But that's the way it goes. Uh, to me, if I'm doing my job, if I'm showing up prepared, if I'm a good partner and I am nice and connect with everybody and, and my bosses like what I'm doing, then, then that's, that's good enough for me. 
Now, besides, you know, actually starting the season, what are you looking forward to the most when it comes to stepping in the booth? Like you mentioned, kind of like building on your own craft and building those relationships with your analysts. I'm really looking forward to meeting some of my colleagues that I have not met yet. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the start. There you go. Uh, with different teams. You know, it's free training. I, I had a chance to get to know the, 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 the broadcasters for the Rays a little bit. and uh, Andy Freed and uh, Neil Solons and Dave Wills. Um, just incredibly kind people um and and then just some some other i've met, I've met a few other ones too uh you know i gotten to meet me jim powell and uh, scott franski does the phillies somebody i've known for a while so it was good to catch up with him um but I'm, I'm honestly excited to just go to different places and meet some different people that that i, I maybe have have talked to for a while but i don't see all that often or people that um i i'm I'm, I just I want to meet because I listen to the work that they do. Um, so that, that's probably what I'm looking forward to the most is, is getting to, to interact with and meet some of these people. I don't know how much of that's going to happen this year uh, with everything that's going on. There's yeah. still a lot of details to be worked out. But, but that and also visiting some other cities, another thing that may not happen this year, uh, but hopefully next year and going to different ballparks and going to different places where I've never had a chance to go before. Interesting. I really hope you guys do get that chance this year. We'll see what happens, if they can come to an agreement. And there's one more thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go. Again, I don't want to take too much of your time. I always say that these are going to be quick and easy, and then I always end up running over an hour. Uh, um, but the, the one thing I kind of wanted to ask you, given, again, aspiring sports journalism and broadcast student to a professional one, what do you think, and I don't know how much uh, uh, that you've seen from it, but what, what do you think is the biggest mistake that you think young broadcasters make, whether it's on the air or even in the social media world today? I would say number one in the social media world, um, just be careful what you say. Yeah. And just don't go too far um, because there are a lot of people that employ not only broadcasters, but it doesn't matter where you're working that they're going to look at what you post on Facebook, they're going to look at what you post on Twitter, they're going to look at what you post on Instagram. So just be very careful about what you say. Um, don't don't be overly just like... I, I'm not a big fan of people that are on social media just in your face. Like I'm yeah. not really into that. So just, just be mindful of that because different perspectives should always be appreciated and um, no matter what it is that you believe um, you know you have the right to say it but you just you know there, there's a way to go about it and there's a way not to go about it so just just be careful about about what it is that you're saying and, and realize that um, what you post on social people will see it uh, the good the bad and the ugly so right. be respect be respectful of, of whoever it is. Um, don't use bad language or profanity or call anybody out. Like that's 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 not probably somebody that someone who's hiring is going to want to work with. Right. So, so just just be careful about some of that stuff. Um, I would say, as far as on air stuff, number one, meet as many people as you can. Reach out to people that are are doing what it is that you want to do because they can give you a roadmap. I think it helps when you have people in your network who are sort of where you are that are uh, at maybe a different stage in their careers. So maybe people that have been doing it 25, 30 years and have longstanding careers. And then it's also good to be uh, 
connected and, and get to know and, and make friends with people that are a little bit ahead of you, um, maybe a little bit older and a little bit more experienced than you, um, because those are the people that understand the trends the best because maybe they were the ones that were just hired doing what it is that you want to do. So having a good cross-section of people in your network is good. Just taking it from one person I don't think is is the best, and that's what right. I try and do. I mean, I have a people, that a group of folks that I, I kind of call my, my lifetime board of advisors, and they're from different backgrounds. They are different ages. They have different experience levels, and those are the folks that, that I kind of lean on um, when I when I have a question, and I can definitely pick up the answers from from a bunch of different folks. So having those kinds of perspectives, I think, is is really good. Um, be kind. Uh, don't be a jerk. Uh, if you send an email to somebody asking about an opportunity or, or wanting to pick their brain or when you apply to a job, um, don't make a five-paragraph email right. that, 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 that is a thousand words long. Like Nobody wants to read that, at least initially. It's the, it's the whole thing from, from Hitch uh, where, where he says, um, I want, I, I, you know, I don't, I may not want to see it all right away, but I do want to see it. So like, I want to know who you are, but like, take it, don't, don't give me everything. If, if right. I hire you and I work with you or I get to know you otherwise, we'll, we'll eventually reach that point, but you, you don't need to do it all right away. Um, and, and also just be careful about declarative, um, self-judgments like I'm a hard worker I'm an up-and-comer like saying that I, I'm an up-and-comer like that never goes off or that doesn't come across very well right just be humble first because if somebody realizes that I'm, I'm just here to learn I have some questions I admire what you do um, there's some things that I'm working on on my broadcast and I'm trying to I'm trying to get better do you have 10-15 minutes for me to pick your brain and ask you some questions and figure out how you got to your certain point. If you frame it that way, I think almost everybody, if they have the time, is, is going to say yes. Yeah. Um, so, so I can answer really, really well to that. And um, just remember that um, if, you, if you approach things with class and, and you, you, you do it the right way and you work hard, I think it eventually... If you have talent, I think it eventually works its way out one way or another. It may not be a direct line. It might take a little longer than you want. But, but remember that every day you're in this industry, somebody's leaving this industry. Yeah. So uh, it's not often about who the most talented person is. It's who is willing to stick it out the longest, who is willing to make the adjustments needed, and who is willing to be the best self-evaluator because the best people – that are doing this know how to fix things and correct things and are willing and, and honestly want that feedback. Uh, the, the people that, that are just the, the people that get offended really easily when you give them a critique and tell them that something isn't very good. Uh, those aren't the kind of folks that, that, that people want to work with. Right. Um, and, and so just, just don't take offense to it and just realize that the higher up you go. And I have, I have a very close friend of mine that's on ESPN right now. Um, 
he he will get criticisms and, and, and critiques from, from bosses and whatever, and he's going to hear about that if he likes it or not. So, right. um, so you, all, you all need to do that. We all need to, to remember that uh, the people that are, are, are giving us this feedback, they're doing so to make us better and to make the product better, and that's the most important thing. Now, you talked about your support system a little bit, and this will be my last question, I promise, but you talked about your, your support system a little bit and about how, like, you're always trying to critique things. Like, how many times over the years... Were you on the air or said something uh, in a podcast or whatever, and they were just like, oh, come on, Jeff. Like, you're, you're better than that. Well, it doesn't really Yeah. I'm more on the uh, and for me, um, I have a pretty good understanding as to where the line is and what I can say and what I can't. And, and there, like, there are opinions where if you want to share them with friends or, or whatever, that's fine. But um, but there are certain things where it's just like, like for my job, it's, it's to call baseball games or to broadcast basketball or football or whatever sport that I happen to be doing. And that's the most important thing. So I just stick to that. And if I if I focus on that, then, then I'm sure... Um, then I'm sure I'll be fine, and, and I realize that, that I, I don't have a, a whole lot to be worried about. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just, just being humble and, and kind and, and easygoing um, and just somebody that, that someone else would want to get to know and, and hang around with. And if, if, you, if you just focus on being a good person, whether you're on the air or off the air, uh, that's that's the most important thing I think we can all do. Awesome. Well, thanks for all the great advice. I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day and being generous enough uh, to talk to me. I really hope that you and your parents and the rest of your family are uh, staying safe during, again, this kind of unprecedented time in history. I mean, everything's just up in the air. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you, and I hope to hear you on the air this year. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.